We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. We're actually going to cover an overview of all the way through chapter 10, just so you know where we're going, but we're going to be reading out of chapter 3 today. So while you're turning there, I want you to think about this question. And kids, think about this question especially for you, because I I want your imaginations, us old people, our imaginations start to go dull. And so if God were to show himself to you right now, what would that be like? So you're like, you're doing your schoolwork or you're playing, adults, you're, you're at your job, you're, you're whatever you're doing, like you're just going about normal life and all of a sudden God shows up in that moment. Think about what that experience would feel like, what it would look like, what it might sound like. What would be going on inside of you? Would it, would it be like just such a peace that would come over you? Would it be super, super scary? Would it be loud noises? I always think of Anchorman when I say that phrase. Would it be like just kind of serene? Would there be a flash of light? Like what would that be like? Now that you have that in your head, I want you to remember two things. One, God's presence is always here with us. God is always here with us and always longing to show himself to us. But two, often we are looking at something completely different. Our eyes are focused on something else, something in this tangible world that we can see more clearly maybe, and we're zoomed in, locked in on that, and God has to do something to get our attention. And there's all kinds of crazy stories throughout this Bible of God doing just that for certain people. But I believe it may not be as as a miraculous looking thing as we're gonna hear about this morning, but I believe he wants to do that this morning with you and I. That he wants to get our focus and our attention off of kids rolling on stages and crying babies and cameras not working and whether people are wearing masks or not and what's going on at your job this week. And he wants us to see him, amen? So Exodus 3, turn with me. I'm going to give us a recap, and then I'm going to read the first uh, 15 verses, I believe, of Exodus 3. Before I do, Father, we just ask that as we read your word, we would remember this is your address spoken to us. You are speaking to us. You are trying to get our attention. You are inviting us into seeing you and knowing you and hearing you listening to you, and communing with you, being in relationship. So would you do that this morning through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we've read the story about God calling this people, calling this guy Abraham, and saying, hey, I'm going to give you a big family. Abraham had more kids than Missio Phoenix has. Crazy, right? And uh, we're going to give you, not like literally, but his descendants. It grew and grew. It became this big nation called Israel eventually. And he said, I want to bless this nation, Israel, so that Israel will be a blessing to the other nations around them. Not just so they'll be like happy and, and have a good life for themselves, but so that they will bless all the other people all over the world 
because that is who God created and what he cares for, all people, all the world. And so this family, they, they fail at it miserably. They're not very good at being a blessing to other people. Uh, we see lots of manipulation, lying, cheating, stealing in this family. And then it, it leads us up to this point where this family finds themselves being enslaved to another nation now. So they're supposed to be a blessing to all the other nations. Now they're slaves to another nation that actually is like sitting on the top right now. They're the world power of the day, Egypt. So they're, they're prisoned in Egypt, they're slaves, they're living harsh lives, and the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, even wants to kill all of the male babies at one point so that he can keep some population control, trying to keep them at bay so they don't get too strong and rise up against us. And we're introduced in that story to this guy named Moses who's born who it seems like God's going to do something unique through this one. Like he saved this male baby when all the others were being killed. And it seems like he's saving him for a purpose. Remember, blessed to be a blessing. That this Moses sees his people being treated wrongly and he wants to come and rescue them, but he does it in his own power and he ends up murdering a guy and then he runs away. So now he's off living in the mountains of Midian. He, he meets this like, priest guy there of other gods who's got seven daughters and he picks one and then he gets married and he's living a good life in the mountains sharing some sheep and I don't know what that means but I read a lot and he's just like trying to forget his day in Egypt right and this is where we find ourselves in Exodus 3 starting in verse 1 meanwhile I'm reading out of the CSB Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. How many of you kids have seen fire before? All right, how many of you have seen a bush on fire before? Really? A couple of you? All right. Was it scary? No? Uh, were you worried about that fire getting onto other things? No? Okay. You just wanted to watch it go up in blaze of glory, right? So there was one time where Bethany and I were staying. We were in between uh, getting a house built, and so we were staying with her parents. And that was up in New River in the mountains. And like in the middle of the night, we saw, uh, and it looked like just a couple houses away because it's like all open land acres out there, this, this giant like tree bushy thing just set a blaze on fire. And it was pretty like, one, exciting, but also scary, right? Because how quickly, with all this dry area, that could have spread and gotten to someone's home, including the one we were in. Uh, but so worried about the neighbors and all that, and fire, you know, came out, took care of it. Everything was fine, don't worry. But that bush was gone. Like, it was burnt up, gone. And yet, this is a, a unique experience. Moses sees this bush on fire, a flame of fire within a bush, and instead of it consuming the bush, instead of the tree just going up in smoke, it doesn't consume it. The Lord's presence is there. So it's just like staying on fire, but it's fine. And we see in other parts of Scripture that God is so holy. That means he is so distinct from the rest of us and so perfect and so set apart that his presence, it would be like flying up to the sun, right? 
We've talked about that before. Flying up to the sun and you would just get obliterated by it because you can't handle it. You can't handle the heat. We've seen in other parts of scripture where God's presence is kind of like that, a consuming fire, in fact, is the words used sometimes. And yet God shows up to get Moses' attention here in a grand way, but not to consume, not to obliterate, not to do away with. He's actually sustaining this bush while his presence is there in flames. So already a crazy story, right? Is that what you pictured when I asked how would God show up to you? Maybe. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire with a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. Verse 3, so Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Like, obviously, that would be my reaction too. Like, I got to go check this out, right? So he walks over there. And verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. So are, are, are we picturing this scene? Are we imagining you see this bush on fire? You're there taking care of the land and the animals, and this bush is on fire. So at first you're maybe a little bit scared what's going to happen. But then you say, no, no, the bush is fine. Now you're curious. I got to go check this thing out. And then suddenly a voice comes from it. Can we just acknowledge the Bible's weird sometimes? Moses, Moses. And he's like, what's going on? And he responds, here I am. Verse 5, do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's giving him a history lesson. I'm the God who called this people to be distinct and set apart, to be blessed, to be a blessing to others. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, all the ites. Pause for a second. You remember where we landed at the end of chapter two last week? Moses ends up murdering someone, and he runs away to the mountains. There goes their rescuer, but, chapter two ended, but God heard their cries, he saw them, he knew. God knew what was going on, he saw, he cared, and he came down. Who is the rescuer in the story, right? God hears and comes down. What beautiful news that is, that whatever you're going through right now, God sees hears, and he knows. That whatever oppression different peoples are facing in the world, God sees, he hears, and he knows. He is the God who comes down to be with you, to rescue. And he reminds them, hey, listen, not only remember your your ancestors, right, your great-great-great-grandfathers, who I promised I'd make a great nation out of, he says, remember, I promised them, and we saw this as we went through Genesis, that I would give them this land in Canaan. Abraham's walking by one day, 
And God goes, hey, stop for a second. This spot, one day this is going to belong to your descendants. But not for you today, Abraham. Keep moving, right? And God is about to come through on this promise from generations before. God always comes through on his word. And a lot of times we're sitting there, we're going, God, how long? Like, I've been waiting for this. How long? But God always comes through in his timing. So verse 9, so because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore, go. Wait a second. God's the rescuer. God's the one who came down. And so because I've heard, God says, and because I know what's going on, God says, Moses, you go. What? The murderer? The coward? The dude who fled up to the mountains to marry a woman and have some babies? And just forget about what happened there, right? Yeah, God comes to him and says, I want you to go. Remember, the story began with this God who creates all things, who then invites humans into a beautiful partnership with him to actually care for and have rule and authority over and look out for the goodness of all creation. And God has not given up on that plan. Even Moses, who's blown it, just like his ancestors blew it, God says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm inviting you now into this partnership. God could have easily done this on his own but he goes to this man living in the mountains. He says, therefore, you go. Verse 10, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So be honest. What would you guys do right now? How would you respond? This bush is on fire. It's not going anywhere. You get a little close because you're curious. Starts talking to you. And it's like, now I want you to go to the biggest, baddest authority in all the world. I want you to go to the person who is running the whole world right now. The person who has enslaved millions of your people. Moses, you lived in that palace. You know what went on there. He was going to kill you. That's why you ran. I want you to go back now. I want you to go right up to that king. What would you do? Be scared? Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yeah, well, it'd have to be me, right? Why do you tell me this? Yeah, I don't know. If, if, if he's burning this bush up, like, is he going to burn me up if I don't listen? I got to do it, right? Uh, but why, why has it got to be me? Yeah. Moses has a kind of similar response, although he doesn't start with, uh, yeah, I got to do it because God said so. No. Moses doesn't start there. Verse 11, but Moses asked, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Me? Who, who am I? Why are you coming to me with this? Do you know who this Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is? And you're coming to me? God, why would you ask me to do this? Why are you inviting me to join in this amazing work you're going to do? Because you could do it. You got this covered. But me? You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know my limitations. You know I'm not very impressive. Why would you come to me with this? And God answered. I love this. What's Moses' question? 
Moses says, God, who am I? And God says this, verse 12, he answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt and you will all worship God at this very mountain. Moses goes, God, who am I? And God goes, I will be with you. That's not what Moses asked, right? That's not, God just kind of like sidesteps Moses' question and goes, you're asking the wrong question. Let me tell you the question you should be asking. Will I be with you? Yes. Who are you? You're someone who God goes with. And I'm gonna steal this line from one of our pastors at our Missio Dei Mesa congregation because I love it. He said this, he said that the God who goes with you is bigger than the work that lies before you. So let me just, I would mic drop it, but it wasn't my line, I'm stealing it. Let me just repeat it so you get that. The God who goes with you is bigger than the work that lies before you. God just called Moses to go do the most terrifying thing you could imagine for Moses. And he's going, who am I? How can I do this? And God reminds him, I, the God who goes with you, am much bigger than Pharaoh. And much bigger than all of Egypt. And much bigger than your fears and your concerns. I'm with you. That's all you need to know about who you are. Verse 13, then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? So now Moses is getting closer to the right question here, right? He starts with, who am I? God goes, I'm going to be with you. So then Moses goes, all right, well, who are you? I'm going to go to these guys. I'm going to go to all these people. I'm going to say, hey, this bush was on fire, and it spoke to me, and we're all supposed to just leave Egypt and you'll be safe. We're going to go to that spot where the bush was burning, and we're going to worship. And if they go, okay, like, who sent you? Who, whose power and authority do you have? Moses is like, what am I supposed to tell them, right? And this is what God says. Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, whose name became Israel, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. God, who are you? What am I supposed to say to them? Who am I? I I am, and you are because I am, is what God says. All, you know, all of this exists because God is, because his life-giving, life-sustaining presence spoke it into existence. You have breath, Moses, in your lungs because God breathed it into you. You know that? The very first man was formed out of dust from the ground, a lump of clay, and then God breathes his own spirit, his own breath into him to give him life. God is. He says, I am who I am, and I am with you. I'm going with you. 
But, but Pharaoh, no, 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 I'm going with you, Moses. But the Israelites, they're not going to believe. I'm going with you, Moses. The God who goes with you is bigger than the work that lies before you. Because he just is. He, he is the life-giving, life-sustaining presence of the entire universe. All of it exists because of him. And he is with you. But who am I? It doesn't matter. He's with you. And so Moses continues back and forth with God for a while. Five times he goes, God, I, I got an objection. I, here's why I can't do this. And God goes, listen, let me tell you how you can do this, right? And then he starts doing these like tricks for him. He starts doing these miraculous signs to show him how powerful this God is. He goes, hey, throw your staff down on the ground. It turns into a snake. He's like, grab it by its tail. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about snakes living in Arizona. You should know this. If you're hiking, don't grab a snake, first of all. But if you do grab a snake, should you grab it by its tail? What's, what's loose flopping around then that could come and get you? Right? And God goes, grab it by its tail. And so Moses does, and it turns back into a staff. Moses still isn't convinced, but, but God, but God. He goes like, hey, take your hand, put it inside your cloak, pull it out. Suddenly, it's like, it's got leprosy. It's got this like skin disease all over it. And he's like, wow, he's freaking out. And he's like, put it back in, puts it back in, pulls it out. It's fine again. And it becomes this like magic trick. Leprosy, now it's gone. You know, like what in the world? And God's doing all this stuff. And finally, Moses just goes, he drops a charade. He stops trying to come up with a reason why he can't. And he just goes, God, send somebody else. You got the wrong guy. And at this point, God gets angry. It says that God burns with anger. Now, this is the first time so far as we've been going through the story of the Bible from Genesis 1. This is the first time that the Bible tells us that God gets angry. If you have any preconceived ideas about the wrath of God or, or an angry God of the Old Testament, let me tell you, this is the first time we've gone through a lot so far where we hear that God gets angry. Was he angry when the flood came? No, it said that God was grieved. He was deeply saddened. God gets angry with Moses, and what does he do? squashes him like a little bug, right? Burns him up and consumes him like, like the bush. No, no. He gives him a concession. Moses goes, send someone else. And God's angry, like, come on. Like, you just saw everything I did. You know who I am. You know what I've done for your ancestors. Okay. I can see that you still, you need help. I'm gonna send your brother Aaron with you. That's what God does out of his anger, is he cares. Out of his anger, he responds to a need. Like, is, is this the angry God that we've heard about in our culture? God gets angry and he goes, all right, I'm gonna send your brother Moses with you. And we're gonna find that actually causes all kinds of problems, right? Because Moses would not go alone how God told him to, he sends him his brother, Aaron, and that causes all kinds of problems we'll find later as we move through this story. But God goes, fine, here we go. I'm, I'm giving you your brother. 
He'll go with you. You're going to be fine. And he sends them off. And they go and they tell all the elders, all, all the people in charge of Israel, this is what's happening. This is what we're going to do. They have a hard time believing like Moses thought, right? And then he goes to Pharaoh. He goes to Pharaoh and he's like, hey, um, God said, you got to let my people go. You got to just let them be free. They're not slaves anymore. And Moses laughs at him. He goes, who is your God? Who is your God? Because Pharaoh's like, I'm God. I'm not, I'm not reading into things right there. The Pharaoh in all of Egypt believed that Pharaoh was a descendant of the main God they worshiped. So this culture had a lot of different gods, but they had Ra, the sun god, who was like the main one. That's like their Zeus kind of, right? If you know Greek mythology. And that Pharaoh was a descendant of Ra, the sun god. And so he's going, who is your God? Do you know who I am? That's Pharaoh's response. And so then he starts making life harder on the Israelites. He goes, you know what? Go make them work harder and take away their resources. Give them less straw to make their bricks, but make them build more. And Moses is like, God, what's up? Like you told me to go not be afraid of Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. And then it just, life becomes harder. Be honest. Like how many of us have been there where we're like, God, I think this is what you're calling me to do. Seriously, this is hard. Is this really like, you said you were going to go with me. Things just got worse when I did the thing you called me to. But God's not done yet. Just like he wasn't done with Moses yet. And he goes, hold on, don't worry. He goes, Pharaoh is showing his hard heart so that I can get glory. And what he does is he goes through a series of plagues. If you guys thought, if y'all thought the Rona was a plague, like this is nothing compared to what the Egyptians faced. And so I have some slides. Let's just go through a few of those. What we need to know about these plagues is that God was not just torturing the Egyptians, right? What he was doing was he was systematically dethroning all of their gods that they believed in. So they believed in all these different gods in their culture. And the first plague that comes is he turns their Nile River, their source of life and sustenance, the reason they were the world power at the time, because they were positioned right there by it, he turns it into blood. And so they had this God, Happy, the God of the Nile. And God goes, nope, I got power over your God. So then they still don't believe. Then the next plague comes, plague number two in chapter eight is suddenly there's frogs everywhere. Just frogs everywhere. I, they're slimy and they're bumpy and they're rough at the same time. Like gross, right? Uh, but they had a God, a goddess over frogs. And frogs would oftentimes like denote uh, fertility for them, right? So here's tons of frogs. There's your frogs for you. It's out of control. Next plague comes and there's from the dust of the ground, gnats start springing up everywhere. Gnats are like the grossest, most annoying thing, right? Drive me crazy. Uh, but they had Seb, the god of the ground, and he goes, let me take your ground and do, do something crazy with it, right? And he's just kind of turning, turning things upside down in Egypt, causing some chaos for them. The god who created order out of chaos at the very beginning of creation is now going, hey, you think your god's over yourselves. Let me show you what happens when I remove the order that I created in the beginning." You think your gods are in charge? Let me show you what happens when I remove my control. The next plague, 
In chapter eight also, swarms of flies come. They had a God, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that God's name, but a God over the flies. And this keeps going, right? Plague five. It didn't load. There's another plague, and then there's another plague. I'm gonna skip ahead for us, actually, because you don't need it all, but you just need to know. There it is. Dust to boils. Ooh, that's nasty, right? Boils all over your skin. What, what the point is, he keeps going through and going, let me just flick this God away, flick that God away, take the throne out from under this God. None of your gods have power before the God over all of creation, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, Yahweh. I am who I am. Pharaoh's like, who is your God? The same question Moses asked, and God's like, I'll show you. And this progresses and progresses until ultimately a 10th plague, which we're actually going to cover in a couple weeks in more detail. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to take a little pause right now, a little pit stop on plague number nine. The ninth plague comes. And this is the one that finally seems to get Pharaoh's attention, where he finally goes, okay, take all the men and women and all your children and go to that mountain you want to go worship at but leave all your stuff here. Leave your cattle, leave your property. That's mine. And that could have been a good concession, right? Like, all right, fair's fair. You know, like, thanks for making the compromise, Pharaoh. No, 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 no. God is the God over all things. And so a 10th plague comes. But before that, that ninth plague that starts to kind of wake him up a little bit is this plague of darkness that everywhere, the whole land of Egypt was dark. You couldn't see anything. People are bumping into each other. You know, the the Israelites, because they were a different people, they kind of pushed them off to the side a little bit, right? They made them live in this distant place called Goshen. And there, there was light. The Israelites could see what they were doing. So only over the Egyptians was there this plague of darkness for three days. Three days, complete darkness. The God who put the sun in the sky, the greater light to rule over the day, as we heard in Genesis 1, the lesser light to rule over the night, the moon, who put the stars in the sky, and he just, he huffs it all out for Egypt. Completely dark for three days. Chaos, disorder. They don't know what they're doing. Destruction, death. Who is this God? The one who provides and sustains all of life. So for three days, they're in complete darkness. And I think at this point, maybe the Israelites are starting to go, okay, maybe this is a God we can trust. Maybe this is a powerful God. So that when the 10th plague comes, which requires the Israelites to do something to trust God deeply. I think he's gotten their attention now, right? So the 10th one comes and God goes, all right, do you remember how Pharaoh was killing all of the male babies of of the Israelites? They took away my sons and they are not listening to me. What I'm going to do now, God says, is I'm going to take away the firstborn child, the firstborn son 
of every Egyptian household. And he asks Israel, do you trust me? Same question the first two humans were asked. Do you trust this God in the garden? He says, and what I want you to do is I want you to take the blood of a lamb and I want you to spread it over a door, your doorpost. And when this messenger of death comes through the land and it sees that there is blood over your doorpost, it'll know that that is already covered. Death has already happened there. Keep moving. And your children will be spared. But that night there was weeping. There were screams. I know this is a good family worship Sunday, right? (laughs) So what happens when you just preach out of the Bible, you can't avoid these things. Because the firstborn child was taken in all the Egyptian homes. And Pharaoh finally screams out, go, just get out of here. I don't want to see you. Take everything. And not only do they take everything, but they take, like the Egyptians just start giving them stuff to get out. Take my gold, take my cattle, just get out of here. And so they end up plundering the Egyptians. They come out like rich. And they end up at that mountain where Moses saw this bush on fire and they worship God there. They sing a song, which we'll get to. God came and he rescued. This wasn't Moses. This wasn't the power of Moses. This wasn't his brother Aaron, who was able to come alongside and help him out. This was the power of God choosing to move through partnership through humans to display that he is the God over all things. And he invited Moses to be a part of that. And when that happens, listen, we are invited to be a part of that. And when you get that call, it's gonna be scary. And you're gonna wanna say, choose anyone else but me. Who am I? You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know my limitations and my failures. And God's going to go, who are you? I, the God who is, am with you. And the God who is with you is bigger than the work that lies before you. Goes with you. Now listen, here's the story of how we get invited into this partnership. Generations later, Centuries later, there would be a darkness again for three days. Three days of darkness would come. But this time, just like it was just sectioned off to only Egypt and everyone else had light, this time, God would section off that darkness only to his son, his firstborn son. That the God who sent those plagues was willing to actually step into those plagues on our behalf, Jesus going to that death in the grave for three days of darkness. That's the moment that we're coming upon this next Friday, on Good Friday. To honor that, to remember that, to reflect on that, that Jesus went into a tomb of darkness for three days. He stepped into God with us. He doesn't stand far off and throw hail down on people and plagues and then just watch what happens. He steps into it and then he takes it on himself on our behalf. And three days later, just like then the the skies open back up for Egypt, three on the third day, the son of God comes out of that grave of darkness, stepping into the light, being then our eternal light 
that one day when Jesus returns and dwells with us forever, uniting heaven and earth, it says we'll have no need for the sun because God will be there with us and he is our light. But in the meantime, listen, there's, there's a long period, right? Just like there was this long period of slavery for the Israelites where they called to trust this God, even when it doesn't make sense. There's this period in between when Jesus rose and when he'll come again, where he's calling you and I to trust him, to enter into this partnership with him, to go into this world and be a light, to show people who this God is. How do we do that? Who are we? God is with us. Amen? That's all we have. That's all we need. God is with us.